Hey there, conductors. If you've ever felt that you're not quite sure what to do next when you're studying a score, maybe you don't even know where to start with a difficult piece. Maybe you study one piece too much and then you realize at the first rehearsal that you don't know another one well enough. Or maybe you're a new conductor and you don't know what score study is. I'm excited to share that I'm finally publishing and sharing my score study checklist. I've been refining this for 12 years now, and I'm so excited to share it. It is going to walk you through my structure, my process to make sure that I learn every score that I need to learn well enough and so that nothing falls through the cracks. So it covers everything that you need to know. There's a link in the show notes. Go ahead and click it, sign up, and you'll get that score study checklist sent right to your email. You'll also get access to an eight-minute video of me explaining what each section is and how I use it to organize all the music that I need to learn. It's only eight minutes, so it's not going to take you a whole hour to learn how to study better, how to put up a process for your score study and how to make sure that nothing is falling through the cracks. So again, click the link in the show notes, and I hope to see you soon. Now, please enjoy this episode of Podium Time. Welcome to Podium Time, the podcast for conductors and students. So the quote is, if we were a medical school and you were here as a med student practicing appendectomies, you take your work very seriously because you would imagine that some night at 2 a.m., Someone is going to waltz into your emergency room and you're going to have to save their life. Well, my friends, someday at 8 p.m., someone is going to walk into your concert hall and bring you a mind that is confused, a heart that is overwhelmed, a soul that is weary. Whether they go out whole again will depend partly on how well you do your craft. That's from Carl Polnack. So I have that pinned above my desk. And welcome to Podium Time. I'm your host, Jeremy DeQuavis, and today Luke and I have a super special episode for you as we are interviewing our number one fan and dedicated listener just like yourselves, Caleb Benda. We talk with Caleb today about efficient score study, the importance of creating your own opportunities, and why and how he conducts almost everything from memory. Caleb has been listening to the podcast from the very beginning, and he was also our very first listener to join our Patreon page. So a huge thanks to Caleb for his dedication and for being a longtime supporter of the podcast. If you'd like to help support the podcast and get some bonus content at the same time, don't forget to check out our Patreon page. You can join as a family member for $1 a month to get a sticker and early access to our interviews, an assistant conductor for $4 a month to get bonus educational resources like score analyses and workshop summaries that we're working on now, or join as a donor for $12 or more a month to get access to everything and to just help keep the podcast running. Running. The assistant conductor tier at four bucks is the one that I'm really excited about. We've got a lot of exciting uh, content coming up, and I've already recorded a series on the workshops I just did with Henry Fogel on resumes, cover letters, and interviews. I went from fumbling around in the dark to actually being really confident about how just to present myself well in a cover letter, how to express, you know, what's what's unique about me as a conductor, what what experiences I have that can be really good for any particular job, and how to set up my resume to look really professional. Again, he literally wrote the book on on music director sources. So the first 10 minutes of that series about resumes is up on our Patreon page. That's available to everybody if you'd like to check it out before you join. So don't forget to head over to patreon.com slash podiumtimepod, watch that free video, and learn how to set up your resume and check out the rest of the Patreon. 
So links to our website, our social medias, and our Patreon are all in the show notes below, as well as a promo code for 20% off um, your first order at pagubatons.com. So check all of those out, and please enjoy this interview with Caleb Benda. Hi there. One last, last minute note. Caleb let me know that his orchestra is going to be doing some couch concerts every other Saturday coming up. So um, check out those virtual concerts. You can learn more at um, okchambersymphony.com. That's OK as in Oklahoma, chambersymphony.com. And now, enjoy this interview. Well, Caleb, thanks so much for um, for making the time. It's a pleasure yeah. to chat with you again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, would you give our your fellow listeners a, <laughs> a brief overview of who you are and what you do. Well, my name is Caleb Benda. I am a conductor in Oklahoma City, and I am the artistic director and conductor of the Oklahoma Chamber Symphony, the assistant conductor of the Enid Symphony, and then I work at the University of Science and Arts of Oklahoma on faculty, where I, I am the band director. So I wear a lot of hats mm-hmm. while I'm here. And then I work with a bunch of just various other ensembles. Uh, I have one called OK Strings that plays. Uh, we, do, we do like a summer series and just other various groups. Yeah, I forgot how many hats you have on. Yeah, quite quite a bit. <laughs> I have, I for compartmentalized, a, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, th- I think a lot of us can sympathize. Yeah. <laughs> it keeps me busy, so there's never, you know, never a boring day. So that's nice. Absolutely. And what's your what's your instrument? Trumpet. Trumpet. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Did you, what was your undergrad in? Music education. So I did my music undergrad at University of North Texas okay. in music ed with a trumpet emphasis. And then I went to grad school for conducting. Mm-hmm. And where was that again? At Oklahoma City University. Oklahoma City. Okay. Cool. So their program's pretty cool. It's pretty unique. Um, yeah. So you do wind orchestral and choral conducting as part oh, of your yeah, you do all master's three. degree yeah and additional you do musicals and opera so you know they just kind of throw you in the lion's den which is really nice you know now it's really nice there's a lot of work <laughs> then you know but it's pretty unique but it was i really enjoyed it yeah so well, do they have you doing like multiple like things at a time or is it kind of like you focus on this and this and this um through so your first semester you get assigned like a primary teacher so my uh, one of my primary teachers was dr mailman i I had two and so dr mailman is the wind conductor so your first semester you're with your primary teacher second semester you're with either the choral director or the orchestral director and then vice versa for the third semester and then your last semester you're back with your primary teacher but i had uh, Jeff Grogan and Dr. Malman for my primary. So I did two semesters of wind, two semesters of orchestral, mm-hmm. and then I only did one semester of choral conducting mm-hmm. plus the opera and the musical. What, what opera and musical did you do? Uh, the musical was Hairspray. The opera was pretty cool. So Dr. Malman's cousin is actually Nico Muley. So he's a you know pretty well-known okay. composer. Yeah, so <laughs> he came and did a residency with us. So we did the Oklahoma premiere of Dark Sisters while he was there. Oh, so that's cool. Pretty contemporary opera, but I mean, it was phenomenal having him there. You know, it brought Absolutely. a whole different level of insight and appreciation to the piece. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. Really cool. I don't know. Is that a is that one of his newer ones or an older one? Uh, I I think it was on the second one he wrote. So he wrote 
two boys and then it's, dark sisters yeah okay yeah two boys is the note is the one yeah is the one oh. i knew about this was, was really cool. i i mean i definitely recommend it to everyone especially yeah. conductors i mean i really like the opera it's for a chamber orchestra okay. in the pit so only one horn no trumpets uh, maybe only one trombone, but it's, I mean, really sparse orchestration, but I mean, it works, you know, it's written really well. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, it's Nico Muley. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> enough said right there. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's all you need to know. Yeah. It's good music. It's written well. Yeah. 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 So what were some of the, Let's talk about your 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 lessons, your teachers. I mean, yeah. you you studied with mostly the band conductors, your two primaries. Could you talk about some of the the lesson, the main lessons that you took from them? Yeah. Um, well, in my undergrad, I only took lessons with the wind teachers, and you know that was just learning score reading basics. Yeah. Uh, I had Dennis Fisher taught one of my upper level conducting classes while I was at UNT, and the insight he brought to the score was just, I mean, phenomenal. Um, and then I did a summer symposium with them and the UNT people just, I don't know, they were really, really great. I learned a lot of great fundamental technique going into my master's. And so then fast forward, I went to OCU and Dr. Mailman laid a great foundation for my conducting and interpretation, everything like that. Uh, when professor Grogan showed up, so he was new when I got there. Um, I, so I was very pattern based and pattern oriented and just kind of like black and white. And then professor Rogan helped me really get out of the pattern and really show emotion and convey what you want. And I'm a big subscriber to the philosophy that the conductor should be like the physical embodiment of the music, you know, like the gesture you do needs to match the sound that Mm -hmm. you want. And so he really helped me learn a whole set of physical vocabulary to get that out. Um, and I just, I, we would study scores a lot in his, his lessons and in Dr. Melman's lessons. And they just really taught me a very efficient method to study scores. Dr. Mailman, especially, I still use the method he taught me to study scores. So it's, it was really, really great. And how, what is that method? How does it go? Um, so similar to you, I've heard you guys talk about this on the podcast. You guys use, oh, I think you guys use the seven trips through the score. Um, so anyway, brief summary of that, you know, you take seven <laughs> passes basically through the score. And for me, each pass pretty much aligns with one of the elements of music. So like rhythm, melody, harmony, dynamics, you know, orchestration, whatever. But the way Dr. Mailman marked his scores is really efficient. And he told me one day, um, you know, I, I don't mark my score for this performance. I mark it for the next performance. And I mark it where if all of a sudden I couldn't be at the concert then whoever had to step in last minute would be able to understand what I want out of the music just by looking at my markings. So he uses like blue vertical lines for all of his phrases. Um, and he uses red uh, markings for all of his dynamics. So even like, I know a lot of conductors do blue is crescendo or a blue is decrescendo and red is crescendo or, you know, anything above a mezzo forte is red, but for him, everything's just red. And that's to help you, just visualize it. Cause when you're looking at a score, it's information mm-hmm. overload when it's just black and white, yep. you know, <laughs> and then he uses, uh, or we both use 
Ticonderoga makes this pencil. I think it's called like baby's first pencil or so. I don't know. It, it's this huge, massive pencil and it comes forward to a pack, but the lead is, I mean, huge. So we use that to write in time signature changes or subito okay. dynamic changes, you know, just like right in the middle of the page. Cause since the lead is so thick on that pencil, you know, it sticks out like a sore thumb, you know, mm-hmm. that you can't miss it. But in a nutshell, that's basically how he marks his scores and, that's the way he taught me to use it. And he uses a ruler for everything. So he wants perfectly straight lines, which mm-hmm. really helps because when I was at North Texas, I didn't do that. And my scores would look like a coloring book. Yeah. Cause I can't draw straight <laughs> lines to begin with, you know, so it was really bad, but now they're very succinct, succinct and efficient and organized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't heard the baby's first pencil. I love the yeah, Ticonderoga I, pencils. They're great. Yeah. But no, yeah, it's, another it's a massive pencil, <laughs> but I mean, it, it works, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I love that. Uh, I always, I always have a ruler with me yeah. too. My teacher was always saying anything that squiggly is going to make confusion, make sure everything's straight, make sure everything's yep. measured. And so I'm, I, I find pride in always having a ruler with me because yep. people need rulers more often than they think they do. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've yeah. always got one. Yeah. <laughs> the only like curved line, he, we do in our scores the way he taught me was like in compound meters like five eight or seven eight mm-hmm. he'll write like for the first measure it happens like the subdivision and so he uses this little shorthand of basically like diagonal lines or kind of like a backwards j okay and that just simulates like two plus three or you know whatever but that's the only curved okay. line we use because i mean you're right when you look at it <laughs> and there's all these swirly lines you know you're like what is going on right here you know <laughs> how do you mark cues um, oh, that's a good point. So he uses, or we use the red pencil again, and we just mark brackets and put. Oh, bracket. Okay. Instruments. I but do the, again. Use, I do the little curve for the cues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uses a ruler for that to keep everything nice and straight. <laughs> but that really helps when, like, you're looking at a score, and you know, for some reason, if like the piccolo and the double bass come in like at the same time, then you can make sure like you know your cues are exactly uh, perpendicular on the score. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that your your teacher at UNT had a lot of insights into the mm-hmm. scores. What what sort of things did you mean? Um, so my very first teacher was one of the doctoral con- conducting students. His name was Nipot. He's from Thailand, and uh, I'll never forget. You know, we talked. One of the first scores I did with him was Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. So he talked a lot about phrasing and that, and just digging deep into the score. And he would talk about not only like just the aspects of, you know, form, harmony, whatever, but he would really dig into what is the intent and why is it written this way? Um, Dennis Fisher would ask a lot of why questions, you know, like why did the composer choose to do this or, you know, to keep up with the Beethoven theme, like at the beginning, the horn call is in the horns, but then in the recap, the horn call is in the bassoons. Like why did he choose the bassoons? And you may not be able to figure out the answer, but it's important to just ask why and i'll never forget he would in our conducting classes we would have vocabulary tests and so it was like a flashback you know to like seventh grade sixth grade whatever but it was all the italian all the german whatever and he would make sure you knew what it was uh, we would have tempo tests so he would put allegro and you had to decide like hmm. well what you know what range is allegro because when you look at a score that doesn't always have a tempo indication like a metronome indication, it'll just mm-hmm. say you know, Allegro on Dante. So what's your range right there? 
Yeah. Um, and then he taught me a really efficient way to transpose because um, I was really bad <laughs> at transposing, you know, and I don't think anyone's ever perfect at that, you know, because sometimes I still have to reference a chart or whatever and look things up and I get prompted <laughs> an F sharp or whatever, you know, but he, yeah, he would teach us this method where, you know, you can look at whatever key the trumpet's in and look at the scale degree it's playing. And then that's the scale degree for the concert key as well, you know, and you know, now you're like, well, duh, obviously that makes a bunch of sense. But <laughs> at the time, you know, when I was just learning conducting stuff, I, it was overwhelming. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Like I said earlier, information overload, you know? Oh, absolutely. Well, and especially well, that, with the band scores. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that works great though, until you're, you know, dealing with atonal music that doesn't oh, have yeah. key signatures and then <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. By the time you're doing those, hopefully you can make your way yeah. through it somehow though. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And you're you said you're teaching now, are you teaching conducting students, right? Uh yeah, so I work at the University of Science and Arts of Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. So I direct the concert band and uh there's another faculty member, Dr. Hansen. She teaches all the conducting classes. Mm -hmm. But whenever she has students that are in band or whatever, she'll pick one student that's, you know, advanced or ready for it to conduct on the band concert, the choir concert. We don't have an orchestra at this university. Um, so whenever she picks her student to conduct the band, you know, I work with them on selecting music that's appropriate for them. And then in rehearsals, I help them with their technique. And then in addition to like rehearsal process, you know, like, did you like the way that sounded? If not, mm -hmm. you know, what was the problem? What if we did this, you know? Yeah, yeah. And of your, of your, I think you, you have three positions, right? Yeah. You've got teaching the assistantship and then um, what's your, then, what's your group? Uh, Oklahoma Chamber Symphony. Chamber Symphony. Yeah. So for each of these, what are some of like, what are some of the biggest difficulties that you, that you run into? Some of the things you have to overcome? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> the, the thing that came to my mind, you know, initially was all the rep I have to learn because yeah. it's, it's a lot, you know, yeah. I mean, Oklahoma Chamber Symphony, we only do, we just expanded to five concerts a season, okay. you know, but with the university band, we do six pieces per concert. Oklahoma Chamber Symphony will do, you know, three to five on each concert. And then Enid, we do a, a whole bunch. Um, we do a lot of pops concerts right now. And so, you know, that's, you know, 10 to 20 pieces, give or take, you know, in a concert, depending on how long they are. Mm -hmm. So just learning all that rep, I have to be super efficient with that. So that's where yeah. the system I talked about earlier comes into place. Um, but that's, yeah, that's the biggest challenge right now. What's your study schedule look like? Um, in the morning, it's study, study, <laughs> study like crazy. The university group rehearses on Monday nights. So then that's that. And then, Oklahoma Chamber Symphony is on Tuesdays. And then Enid, the, our schedule is a little uh, unique. So Enid's about an hour, hour and a half away from Oklahoma City. And we rehearse and perform on the weekends. So we'll have a Saturday morning rehearsal. And then we do the concert Saturday night, Sunday matinee, afternoon matinee. So then in my weekly schedule, that leaves Wednesday to Friday open, you know, to study, study, study like crazy, you know, make sure everything's yeah. ready to go. Does Enid only have like one one rehearsal per concert? Uh, we do one 
sometimes three. So anywhere <laughs> in there, we're expanding this uh, this season. Yeah, you know, to do a little extra rehearsals. Mm-hmm. But it's because I mean we have musicians that come from all over the state. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Enid's not necessarily the biggest town in the state of Oklahoma. So you know, so a lot of our musicians come from Tulsa, Oklahoma City. You know, all the the major metropolitan areas. So yeah. just easier if we just have one rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the orchestra that I assist for. I have to drive about an hour to get there. Yeah. So it's really nice when the last rehearsal is on Saturday morning before yeah. the concert. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's just one less trip. Yeah. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> yeah. Um, so scores, you know, loading all the scores, it's it's a lot of music for a yeah. lot of a lot of different groups, right? You've got the <laughs> the chamber the chamber symphony, the um, the band, and then also the you said most mostly pops for the Enid. Uh, well, I mean, it's like half and half. Uh, yeah. we, we The last concert we just did was our Pops concert. You know, okay. we were supposed to have a Beethoven concert coming up. <laughs> because of COVID-19, everything's on pause. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And do, do you do anything differently between the orchestral and the band scores? Nope. I mean, I mark them the same. I study them the okay. same, you know. I mean, I, I don't I don't do anything different. Okay. I know, yeah, I know there's there's not really that much difference, but just looking at a band score still overwhelms me. Yeah, like, <laughs> percussion section is usually a bit more active in a band score, yeah. so that takes a little bit extra attention, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like in the same vein of like the difference between orchestra and uh, band, um, when you're programming your seasons, is your approach to programming the orchestral season relatively the same as programming for the band or do you approach those differently? I approach them the same. So this is something I kind of figured out once I got out of school. So I, I don't really want to, I don't call it a theme, but I come up with this concept um, for a concert. And so I'll talk about the the band first. So I came up with this concept and it's called sacred litanies. So we're going to do a concert of all music kind of sacred or sacred inspired. So uh, my teacher, Dr. Mailman, his father is a famous band composer. So he wrote this piece called liturgical music for band. So I picked that. Um, there's another band composer, Frank to Kelly, and he has a piece called angels in the architecture. And it's kind of like, it was inspired by the Sydney opera house and it's, it's architecture, but you know, it's still kind of that sacred vein. So we're doing that. Um, Vincent Persichetti has a band piece called Psalm for band. And, you know, Psalm is kind of like a sacred song. So I, I take like an overall concept and come up with pieces that work for that, come up with the concert order for that. Um, for the Oklahoma Chamber Symphony, we, our last concert was called Something Old, Something New, Something Borrowed, and Something Blue. So I got, we did four pieces and each one kind of picked one of those characteristics. So for Something Old, we opened the concert with Handel's Water Music Suite. Or sorry, this is something blue. Sorry. For something blue, we opened the concert with Handel's Water Music Suite number two. Because when you said the word blue, you know, people immediately think water. water. Um, and then we did Debussy's Prelude to the Afternoon of a Fawn, because a lot of people consider that like the first piece, quote unquote, of modern music. Um, and then for something borrowed, we did Richard Wagner's Siegfried Idol. Mm. So he wrote that piece first and then you know, borrowed from himself and basically put a large portion of that piece in his opera Siegfried. Um, and then for something old, we did Prokofiev's Symphony Number no. One because that's 
the classical. It's written in the yeah. style of Haydn and Mozart, you know. So I try to keep it kind of fun and light. Yeah. Um, because especially here in Oklahoma City, you know, we have a lot of people that come to concerts, but they don't know a whole lot about, you know, what's a sonata, what's a symphony, what's yeah. a concerto, you know. So I have to come up with these overall themes and just find pieces that, that fit them. I think it's a great way to not not just to make audiences interested who wouldn't normally yeah. you know, know what's going on. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, for our upcoming season, we're, I did a concert and it's called Check and Checkmate. Um, and so it's all <laughs> concert. It's all a concert of Czech inspired music. So we're going to do Svetna's Three Dances from the Bartered Bride. And so we're going to have, um, there's a really large Czech community in a neighboring town. And so we oh. have, some traditional Czech dancers that are kind of come in and do oh, cool. like a presentation while we do that. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to do Mozart's symphony number 38. Cause that's the Prague symphony, you know, so that's our checkmate in the title, you know, Mozart's not Czech, but he had a lot of supporters who were, you know, I love that. That's, that's an awesome yeah. concert. So you have to get a little creative, but people yeah. like the titles it, it draws them in, you know, and it tells them kind of what the theme for the evening is. Yeah. Yeah. So on the with the something borrowed being the Siegfried, yeah, um, I was I was giggling at that. Do you know about about Wagner and Cosima? A l- yeah, yeah, a little bit. That he yeah. <laughs> that he yeah. stole his friend's <laughs> wife, <Yeah. laughs> uh, and then wrote I, the Siegfried I, Idol for. Her. <laughs> I, I didn't even make that that connection. That's um, that would have been something. So that's when you said yeah. you, you said it was borrowed. That was the first thing to mind. I didn't think of that. <laughs> you put it in the opera. I hadn't even thought about that. Oh my gosh. So now you got to do the concert again. Yeah, I know. Right. We'll do it all over again. Tell the audience the, probably yeah. the, the, the other one though. <laughs> I talk in between each, each piece to like introduce like, Oh, here's why we're doing this. You know, make sure you listen to this. Cause you know, if you write program notes, not a whole lot of people read those, especially if they're very academic, you know, mm-hmm. And so that's why I like to talk, but yeah, I'll have to do it, do that piece again and tell them that, that version of the story. I like, I like hearing the conductor talk as well. I like, I mean, you know, there's a personality in the conducting, but yeah, I, I want to hear the conductor's voice. I know some people don't, and this is a conversation I have with, with people all the time. And we talk about it in our marketing meetings, how much yeah. talking should we have before the concert? But I like, some. I don't, I don't like to talk before the concert. I like to start like right with the music. Start right ultimately, that's what people came for. Yeah. Um, the last concert I talked a little bit. So we did something special. You know, the Water Music Suite Number Two doesn't have a timpani part, but we know Handel wrote for timpani. I mean, hmm. music written at the same time had a timpani part. So I did some research and come to find out, you know, they just couldn't get the timpani to fit on the boat. Is like the urban legend, <laughs> you know. So afterwards he wrote a timpani part for like the second and third performances and every performance after that, but it wasn't originally in the score because they didn't have it the first performance. And, mm. and then something happened and the timpani part was lost. Well, I found a timpanist who recreated the timpani part, Okay, you know? And so he, to the best of his knowledge, he looked at the way Handel was writing for timpani and the style and everything like that. And just recreated the timpani part to the best of his ability. So we incorporated that. And so I talked before the concert about that, but that, you know, that's a special circumstance, but yeah. normally, you know, they come for the music. So let's offer it up immediately. And then I'll talk between each concert mm-hmm. or each piece. Excuse me. Yeah. 
that makes me think of the the Beethoven five question with the horns and the bassoons. Yeah. You know, yeah. some, some, some teachers have said, Oh, it means this he did. We don't know why. And then some others have said, well, it's because the horns didn't have those notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So is it practical or was it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then should you put it in the horns? Cause now we have those notes. Yeah. Right. We don't know. A lot of why questions. Well, and those why questions are good because at least yeah. they get they get you thinking and and yeah. considering. Even if the answer turns out to be easy, you've still right. come to that conclusion. You know, so, worst case, it's a nice thing to tell the audience to oh, make sure you listen for this, you know. Yeah. 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 We've added some new questions. Would you be interested in trying them out? <laughs> yeah. I'm nervous now, but yeah. Um, what is something if you're, if you were to have a, if one of your old teachers were to come to one of your rehearsals now, what, what are some things they would harp on you about? Oh, <laughs> okay. So when I was at Oklahoma city university, so I did, I went straight into my master's for my undergrad. Mm-hmm. So I'm still, I mean, even today, I'm still kind of new to conducting. I mean, the way I think about it, like I've been playing trumpet for for 15 years, but I've been conducting for six, you know? So when I was playing the trumpet for six years, that's like sophomore level of high school. So I'm basically like a sophomore level of high school (laughs) in conducting, you know? So I was really bad about the second I heard something wrong, I would stop and address it. And that would really like break up the flow of rehearsal. And so one of the things Jeff Grogan would tell me, he called it like the three strikes and you're out game. You know, he would say, start wherever you want to start, but you can't stop until you hear three things that you want to fix and adjust. And then you go back and that lets the orchestra play a larger chunk, you know, lets them get an idea, you know, the, the uh, macro idea of how the piece is going to go a little bit better. So now I'm, I got really better I'm not saying, I'm not going to say great, but I got better at doing the whole three strikes and you're out. Now I think I'm down to like two, you know, so I'm like slowly <laughs> reverting back. So I have to keep that mental, that mental note. And I don't know, he would have different ideas and ways he would do it. You know, when he would hear something, he had a pad of sticky notes on his music sand. So sometimes he would just like put a sticky note on the page and keep going. And then mm-hmm. flipping back through, he'd be like, Oh yeah, there's a sticky note. I remember what happened. So maybe I need to do that because I, I just have trouble. I love the three issues all the time, you know? Yeah, me too. I, I use the sticky note method. Yeah. I think it's, and then you, you can just put them back on the pad. They last uh, a couple yeah. of goes. You yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah. So I think that'd be the first thing is let them, <laughs> you know, let them play a little bit longer before you c- cut them off. What's the second thing? I'm trying to think of, <laughs> I did one from professor Grogan. I'm trying to think of one for Dr. Mailman. Oh, Okay. So Dr. Mailman would have this, he would say this all the time, like, if your left hand doesn't have anything to do, you know, you, it's okay to just let it be neutral sometimes. But for long periods of time, you know, maybe think about like mirror conducting or something just so, you know, it doesn't like, it's just resting by your side for a long time. And then like all of a sudden you bring it back in and what does that mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I kind of have let that slide, you know, I so I, I like, I told you guys earlier, like I use my left hand for expressive things and the right hand is more time beating, but I think there's times where it would be more clear and more efficient if I did show 
like just the time mm-hmm. for the purpose of just being clear about it. You know, especially when we did like the Prokofiev symphony that there was a lot of times where we just needed the time, nothing extra, nothing frilly, you know? So just kind of getting yeah. back to basics. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. Know? Well, it's like that, that time at Bard where, uh, Farberman was trying to teach, you know, he was trying to get me to be more musical and, you know, break out of the pattern and, you know, think, think of it, you know, not, not as a, the pattern, but think of it just musically the line, you know, and then, uh, I had to conduct what was the second movement of, um, Second movement of Sibelius too, <laughs> which has everything like the downbeat on the third beat and then the downbeat yeah. on the fourth beat, just and all over the place. And genius Luke over yeah. here decides to use that moment to uh, not use a pattern, <laughs> and it was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 then Farberman said, "This is the time, time when to use a pattern." Use a yeah, pattern. <laughs> yeah, Ex- yeah, exactly. You know, like I said earlier, like before I was you know, so obsessed with the pattern and I had to break out of it. But now I've like gone so far out of it where at times that's all they need, you know, don't get in the way, like just show what they need. Yeah. Yeah. Just let them, let them play, let them do it. Yeah. Yeah. So I love this. I love this Beethoven picture on the wall. What other fun oh. composer things do you have in your office? <laughs> um, well, I have a Beethoven. So Beethoven's my favorite composer. I've got a Beethoven uh-huh. bust on the bookshelf. I think those are the only composer things. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> I've got some antique metronomes. Oh, cool. Really? Uh, yeah. I don't know if you guys can see. They're over there in the corner. Oh, I see. And I just got this antique sheet music stand from the 1800s. Oh, cool. One of the the second violins from the Oklahoma Chamber Symphony posted on Facebook that there was an antique store that had it. And I was like, I need that right now. Oh, that's so, awesome. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So where did the where did the 18th metronome? Have you been collecting those for a while? No, I only have two. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> so I'm from Oklahoma originally, but like I said, I went to North Texas for my undergrad. So then I came back to Oklahoma for my master's audition. Um, I met and had lunch with my family because the town they live in is only about 30 minutes from Oklahoma City. Oh, that's nice. Um, and we went to a store, and this guy didn't know what it was. And I was like, Oh, well, I'll give you like 20 bucks or whatever, you know? <laughs> and so that's how I got the first one. And then I was like, well, these are kind of cool. I'll get another one. Yeah. So then I got a second and then it petered out. Oh, you know? too bad. Yeah. Yeah. But the portrait I got in Hungary, uh, I got one of Mozart, but I gave that away as a gift, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Luke, show, show your, your bust collection. I think it's right by you. Um, Do you still have all those on your bookshelf? Oh, they're all over the place now. I put them oh, okay. all over. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I collect busts. I have like two those, big ones. Those little guys? Then... Oh, yeah. Cool. I don't know. I have the the Bernstein Mahler Grooves sticker above my desk. Oh, cool. See that, so. <laughs> and the Podium Time sticker. Yeah, and the Podium Time sticker next to it. You know. <laughs> awesome. I have to represent. Yeah. I can send you some more if you want. I got I got way too many. <laughs> I remember I was like, we, yeah, go I, ahead. I still have some, some extras. Like you sent me a bunch the first time. <laughs> yeah. I opened well, it up and it was like confetti, you know, they were just <laughs> out. Well, I was going to order like a hundred and then 250 was like 10 bucks more. Yeah. And then 500 was like 
five bucks more. <laughs> and, I was, you. and I was like, okay, that's enough. I'm, I'm definitely not going to use 500. So, I mean, I've given so many away now. Yeah. And I still have like 475. Oh my God. Like almost all of the packets. <laughs> oh my God. Well, like my business cards, the first time I ever ordered business cards, I, I got 250 and I still have like at least 200 of them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that was like four years ago. <laughs> yeah. You know, a few days ago, someone gave me a business card and it was this like square. It wasn't normal business card shape oh, and it wouldn't fit in my wallet. I was like, what <laughs> am I supposed to do with this? Like, I understand wanting to be artistic, but you know, like I was out and about, I was like, I'll just put this in my, my wallet and take it out when I get home. But yeah, it was a little too different. It, I couldn't hold on to it. What was the profession of the person? I don't even remember. They weren't a musician. I don't, I don't know what it was. <laughs> okay. But. Cause I was like, like, yeah, some of the, some of the designs are real cool. Um, like, I, yeah. you know, like a, like I have a clarinet friend who has like the long card with, and it's mostly a clarinet with the yeah. writing like around the margins. Oh, that's cool. Or like, you know, or like one that looks like a snare drum or something, Yeah, you know, like that. But You can do fancy things now. Right. So fancy. <laughs> I saw one for a, um, it was like an, I don't remember what it was, but the card was origami where it had like folds on it. So you could fold it into like a little boat or whatever. <laughs> pretty easily and okay, then it would yeah. show the information on it and i was like okay that's that's, that's cool. pretty awesome yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know i'd probably hold on to that one just because it's cool but just oh, a yeah. square i was like a yeah. it was a weird shape and if it you can't work. even remember what it was yeah it clearly yeah. wasn't <laughs> yeah. very impactful awesome so what what are the things that you've done or the things that you think you've done intentionally that have helped with the success you've had so far. Oh, you have to create your own opportunities. Yeah. I think it would be the first thing. Um, I told the conducting students at USAO that. So when I was at the university of North Texas, I helped start like an extracurricular concert band. And so that's how I very first got all of my conducting footage and just time like in front of an ensemble. I mean, besides, you know, conducting class and student teaching, whatever, which is great, you know, but being thrown to the sharks really helped like sink or mm -hmm. swim, you know it or you don't. Oh, yeah. So I started a group at UNT and then the whole way the OK Strings group got started when I was at Oklahoma City University. This lady, I don't, I don't know how she got my contact information, but she emailed me was like, hey, I'm the director of this art museum or this history museum art museum thing in Stillwater and we have a summer concert series. Would you be able to put a group together and bring them up here? So I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I'm still in school, but like I've got some friends that like we can do it for pizza and 20 bucks, you know? Mm -hmm. And so then we did that and it just, it reoccurs every year now. So I, that's how that group happened. Um, Oklahoma chamber symphony. We're about to start a third season. And I, I mean, I just wanted more conducting opportunities. So that was a group that I founded and we got off the ground totally. And that was the biggest project yet. Cause we're a nonprofit and you know, that all the bureaucratic stuff is not super easy. You know, the government doesn't, doesn't make it easy to start something. <laughs> um, and then with the Enid symphony, that kind of, that just happened that I emailed the orchestra director or the music director of the Enid symphony and asked if I could come watch his rehearsals. And he said, yeah, sure. 
So I went for two years and I watched all their rehearsals. And then he came to my graduate conducting recital at Oklahoma <laughs> City University. And then the very the gra- the recitals on Saturday. On Monday, he emailed me. He goes, "Hey, we want to make you the assistant conductor. Do you want to do this?" Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So you just yeah. I, every step of the way, like I've had people that have helped me out. Don't get me wrong, and I've had phenomenal teachers. But a lot of the things you just you have to make your own opportunities, and especially in the conducting world, like we're getting mm-hmm. to the point where there's more conductors than conducting positions, and so you have yeah. to like what makes you different, what makes you stand out, or you know what opportunities could you create for yourself? On well, anything that you could put off to luck is probably yeah. not just luck. Like, yeah, what, what's that? There's like a saying that's like the harder I work, the luckier I get or something. Yeah. 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 yeah like, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't luck that you got the call on Monday to be the assistant. It was because you yeah. went and met the person. Like you took that initiative. And right. Ab- yeah, absolutely. Put that effort into your recital and yeah. you should, you know, you proved that you were good enough to do that and that you were worthy of that offering. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I need to thank you guys. Cause I remember Jeremy, I, I emailed you about one of the pieces on my graduate recital. We both did the piston. The piston yeah. 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 And so that have was you, that opened the concert with, have you done the, um, the Adams? Not yet. It's on my, it's on my short list. It's great. You know, the I'm second, the right opportunity to program it. The, the key signature in the second movement is not so friendly, <laughs> but it's a great piece. It's really not tough to put together and the audiences love it. Yeah. It's it's just pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just waiting for the right opportunity. Like yeah. That's okay. on my on my short list. I want to do that recital again. That was I about will... that was, you know, I I have that thing that like shows me my Facebook posts. Yeah. The day like, I think like three years ago or four years ago today, I yeah. shared the posters for that recital actually. So we're like we're right around that time. Yeah. But yeah. I know what I would do differently, you know, now. Yeah. But so one of the things OCU would make the conducting students do, which is great, you know, but at the time I was like, are you serious? You have to start your own group for the recital, which is pretty easy because then you can just ask the or- the school orchestra, like, hey, here's my recital. Will you guys do it? Or mm-hmm. you can ask the band, you know, whatever. But so I had to like form a group for that, you know, and that was – the year I did it, we had like some really bad weather. So like we had to cancel a rehearsal after rehearsal after rehearsal. Like the dress rehearsal wasn't until the morning of the recital. Yeah. And it was just like a nightmare. And then my, my Dr. Mailman is big on like videotape everything, especially now, you know, when your opportunities are kind of sparse, like videotape everything. Well, my camera died right after the dress rehearsal, you know, and I am like trying to remain chill because it's my graduate recital day. And then I'm like having to, speed down the street to Best Buy and like what camera do you guys have that I can get in stock right now, you know? And so yeah, what I would do differently, I guess would ultimately depend on can we have better weather right now? (laughs) (laughs) Rehearsals aren't getting delayed all the time. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So on my recital after the overture, I realized that I never started the camera. Uh, um, and then when I went to start the camera, I realized that there was no SD card in it. <laughs> so I had to pause my recital after the overture, run to the library on the other side of the building, find the yeah. SD card, come back and put it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. In the camera. That was embarrassing. I was. Just, I think and, we all. I think we all have at least one horror story about a camera at some point. Yeah. <laughs> if not uh, many. 
Oh, cameras. Mm-hmm. And what, oh, go ahead. I was gonna ask what camera you end. What camera do you use now? Uh, now, <laughs> it's the same camera from the recital, and it's a GoPro because that's what they had in stock. So, oh, really? <laughs> I love it. You know, it's really discreet. I can basically put it yeah. in the ensemble and get great shots, but then the sound quality is not the best. So after every concert, you're not having to take the footage or the audio recording from the hall and splice it together with the the video. And I'm not a video person. So, you know, it's yeah. it takes me longer than it probably should, but you know, yeah. it usually works out. Yeah. The uh would be one of the audio guys I worked with, um, when he was setting up the audio and the video, he would go out in the hall and then clap twice. And then you can line up the um, audio clap with the visual clap. That's so smart. that's that's how like the professionals do it. That's smart. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that idea for the next concert. Oh, definitely do. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I ended up with a GoPro, which is great because, like I said, it's very discreet. And I found out on the Kate, so I have like the GoPro Five or whatever. And now they're on like probably 20 i, I don't know yeah. <laughs> technology is like out of date this thing you walk out of the store yeah. um but the case that came in covered up the microphone holes and so i like got a drill and kind of drilled out on the case where the microphone goes and so now it's you know a little bit better because it was just super muffled all the time but i don't know it's i guess an action camera whatever the label is but yeah well, you can, I mean, you can do cool stuff with that because a lot of audiences, I think, I think one thing that we don't do enough of is showing audiences what it looks like from the other side. Yeah. You know, and I think if you can, if you can stream that to a screen or, you know, do something like that, audiences would love to see what the conductor actually looks like. Yeah, absolutely. You know, some of them don't care, but I think a lot. <laughs> yeah. A lot I wish there was a way to, to figure it out, like without a lag, you know? Yeah. 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 Cause yeah. that'd be my, my big issue right now, you know, is there always a delay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially during the live. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, there's a tiny delay on Zoom also, so we can't we can't yeah. play together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what uh, what are some of the really cool concerts that had to be canceled this summer um, or this spring? So our la- the Oklahoma Chamber Symphony's last concert got the board decided to cancel the rest of the season, and it was called Cultural Cultural Impressions. Um, so it was all music inspired by different cultures. So we we're going to open with the Beethoven uh, Ruins of Athens Overture, and then follow that up with the Turkish March from Ruins of Athens. Uh, the second movement was going to be the Bartok Romanian Folk Dances, and then we we're going to end with Mendelssohn Three. Okay. Cool. And then for the for the Eden Symphony, that was it was gonna be our Beethoven concert. So they just postponed that. It's gonna mm-hmm. be our season opener now. Mm-hmm. And then USAO, we canceled this concert called Contemporary Classics. So it was band classics that were older and newer. So we had a lot of like traditional band pieces and then also very contemporary things. Um, we were gonna do a piece by this band. Well, he's mostly known for his band works. He has a few orchestral pieces, but it's John Mackey. Um, so there's this piece he has that we were going to open the concert with because it's it sounds more difficult to play than it is. But it, like <laughs> every measure alternates four four seven eight four four seven eight. You know, so it's this high energy piece, and you know you put it together relatively quickly. 
Um, and it's a lot of bands play it now. So it's one of our quote unquote newer classics. Yeah. What's it called again? Uh, it's called undertow. undertow. So it was commissioned by a middle school band in Texas. Um, oh. the, the band and orchestra programs in Texas are just like phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but like I said, it sounds more difficult than it is to play. So that was really nice. So it works really nice as like a overture type piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about what do you have on the horizon? Have you, have you programmed for next season already? Yes. Um, the Enid Symphony, I can't, I can't say that's not my, my line of duty right there. Um, but for Oklahoma Chamber Symphony, we're also going to open our season with the Beethoven concert. Um, so no, no one in my family is musical. They all work for schools now. Uh, but my dad was in high school band and he growing up, he would always say like, well, back in my day, you know, like my high school band played Egmont. And so that's one of his favorite <laughs> pieces is the Egmont overture. So we're going to open the concert with that. And then we're going to end the concert with Beethoven's fifth symphony, which I know it's overplayed, but that's my favorite piece. Of music. <laughs> you know, it's, it's overplayed for a reason. Like, I, I don't know. I guess I'm going to that piece every time. Yeah. Um, and then since it's the Beethoven anniversary, I wanted to do a lesser known Beethoven piece because, you know, if you go to a, an orchestra concert any other year, you're going to hear Beethoven five, nine, seven, three, all the yeah. classics, you know? So I want to take this, this chance to play a piece that by Beethoven, that's lesser known. People probably aren't going to hear it again. So there's, the, here with this piece called King Stephen and the King Stephen overture gets played a lot and it's hmm. a phenomenal piece. Um, but there's like an hour's worth of music that goes with it that yeah. never gets played anymore. So I'm assembling a suite from the King Stephen um, where it's just a four movement suite just for orchestra. So it'll be about 20 minutes. Okay. So I have the overture and then he has like a victory march and a religious march and the final chorus. And I've arranged it where you can do it, you know, without, the choir, you know, so you can okay. adjust the orchestra. And it was almost an opera. So there's like speaking roles and cast members and stuff. So I've had to like cut all that out, you know, <laughs> and I'm trying to keep it as true to Beethoven as I can, you know, like hide all the small changes I had to make. But so that'll be the middle piece, you know, cause no one's really ever heard it. And that piece yeah. is, I mean, it's near and dear to me. Um, I got to study abroad in Hungary and I went mm-hmm. back for a few conducting workshops and I just like, I fell in love with the city of Budapest. And the reason King Stephen was written is because they were building a new uh, performance hall in Budapest oh. and they asked Beethoven to write the music. And so he did. Um, the hall isn't there anymore, burned down, but you know, you can go see where it was. And now it's a, Oh, at some clothing store. <laughs> like it's, I don't know it's some clothing store because I've been to where it was but yeah. I got permission from the Hungarian National Library to include some pictures in the score of like the original building and oh, stuff cool. so it'll be, it'll be pretty cool um, and then one of my teachers at Oklahoma City her name is Dr. Fleming or Dr. Beth she spent a number of years working at the Ira Brilliant Center for the Beethoven Studies in San Jose so she's going to give a free concert talk which will be pretty cool you know because oh, she's awesome basically in my area, like the resident Beethoven expert. So we're going to do that. That's our Beethoven concert. And we're going to do Handel's Messiah the first part with a local uh, community choir. I went to school with the director actually. Um, and it's the only sing along 
performance of Handel's Messiah in the state of Oklahoma. So that'll be pretty cool. And I talked about the, yeah, I talked about the <laughs> check and checkmate concert earlier. Yeah. And then we're going to do around Valentine's day. We have like a concert of love. So we'll do the Mendelssohn Midsummer Night's Dream overture. Mm-hmm. And then I discovered this piece uh, when I went to the conductor's retreat at Madomic, but uh, Mozart has this ballet music from his opera, Idomeneo. So okay. it's, it, I think it's a phenomenal little suite of music, and that opera is a little bit about love, and then we're going to do the foray, Paleos. So that'll be oh, cool. that concert. And then we do a Christmas concert every year, which just pops, you know, yeah. Trans-Siberian <laughs> Orchestra. We're doing How the Grinch Stole Christmas movie uh, soundtrack this year, and mm-hmm. uh, every year we do a sing-along Christmas festival at the end, you know, so that's just all the sugary sweet pops music. You know? Yeah. Yeah. My favorite CSU did like a, did like a, like a pops fundraiser. So we did like a pops yeah. Christmas concert. Um, and my favorite piece out of two years that we played there was the music to it's a wonderful life with, ah, okay. with like a soprano soloist in the last movement. It's gorgeous. It's a little okay, difficult to check that out, but it's, it's, and I'd, I'd actually never seen the movie before. Yeah. So I so I fell in love with this music and and all the melodies. And I went and saw the movie, and it was really nice. But that's cool. anyway, that's my, that's my favorite. Yeah. That's my favorite sweet, uh, you know, sugary pops music. That's really cool. What was the um, what was the workshop that was connected to the Beethoven piece? Which one um, was it? It's the the Danube International Conducting Festival and Competition. They have a competition part at like the last day. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. But it's in Budapest. And I mean, that's the workshop I've got the most out of. Oh, yeah. Um, I I didn't know the, the teacher and I didn't know the orchestra. I mean, to be honest, I went just because it was in Hungary and I'm, I'm like love Hungary. But I would go back in a heartbeat. I learned the most out of any other workshop at that one. What was it about the workshop? I was just the teacher. So now because of him, I do every concert by memory with the oh. exception of the Christmas one, because yeah. <laughs> doing an audience sing along by memory is not, that's just a train wreck, you know, waiting to happen. Um, but he would talk about in the school, you know, he's, he's European trained, um, but he does all his concerts by memory and we, we would videotape every performance. And he talked about, like, you know, he can engage with the orchestra more and, work with them more when he doesn't have the music in front of him. And from day one where I, I conducted the introduction exposition of Beethoven seven first movement with the score. And then on the last day, the same excerpt without the score and like just watching my own videos, like that is the most difference, the biggest difference I've ever seen in my conducting. And so now I'm like, okay, everything has to be by memory. Cause that's what works for me. Oh, yeah. Um, and plus then you don't have like this physical music stand. Like it's mm-hmm. an actual physical barrier between you and the group, you know? <laughs> so yeah. it gets rid of that. And I can just engage with the orchestra a little bit more. And I don't know, it makes it a little bit more. I mean, that's the thing about like going to a live concert. It's, it only happens once and it's kind of magical, you know, recording is going to be the same every time. And so mm-hmm. when I do the concert by memory, you know, there's something different every concert and I like can't put my finger on it, but a little special magic you know not to be too cheesy happens every time in my opinion Mm -hmm. what's the teacher's name um i cannot remember his name now (laughs) i was ready to tell you a second ago 
can't remember. Feel free, I mean, we can we can Google it quick and then ask the question again. Yeah, let me let me. <laughs> I, I, Thomas Dickey emailed me a few last year and it was like, "Hey, did you like this workshop?" That's how you went to it. And oh I was yeah. Like, yes. So he went to it because now they have two workshops. Um, they do one just for uh, Mozart and Tchaikovsky, and now they do. How do they do? Okay. Andreas Dayak. Okay. Professor Andreas Dayak. I haven't even heard of it. Yeah. So the orchestra, I mean, the orchestra is great. They could tell everyone was there, you know, to get better, which is really great when the orchestra is supportive, you know, and they truly played like, I've seen a lot of orchestras or at a lot of workshops where like they play the same every time, no matter the different conductor or what the conductor tries differently. Like it's always the same, you know, but they actually like follow what you do. And so it's sink or swim. I mean, they will follow you to the end, you know, which was really, really, really nice because you don't get that a lot. Yeah. When you started doing your concerts from memory, did you have a little bit of a learning curve getting into it? Like, did you just jump into it and was like, okay, all my concerts are memory now? Or did you have to um, kick your toes in? <laughs> so the very first concert I did by memory was the inaugural Oklahoma Chamber Symphony concert because that was the first concert that happened after the workshop. And that one was fine. And we did Beethoven one and I had like studied it enough to know like I had that, that concert down pat. And then the second concert we did, we did, I will never forget this. We did Mozart's Hofner symphony. And in the dress rehearsal, I was doing it by memory and we got to the third movement in the trio. And I just like stopped because I forgot to take the DC and the orchestra kept going. And I was like, what do you do? We're at the end. What are you doing? So then like for the next however much time between the dress rehearsal and the concert, I was like, I cannot forget this. I cannot forget this. You know, and so and that was fine. Because then I just went home after the rehearsal, studied the score a little bit more. And I was like, okay, so I just need to trust myself. And that was the biggest thing at the beginning was just trusting myself, you know, because it's, I mean, it was a little bit scary at the beginning. And now it's just kind of habitual. You know, there's a few yeah. moments where, you know, things are a little bit scary, but now it's like, as long as I, I know it, the orchestra will know it. So it was just getting kind of over that fear mm-hmm. at the beginning. What are the, some of the steps you take to prepare yourself for that? Like, do you do like score reading, practicing memorization? Um, yeah. So I, I practice memorization a lot. Um, after I do the, like the seven passes through the score, you know, to study it. Um, I, I learned this method from the, director of the Oklahoma City Philharmonic. Um, I started taking a few lessons with him. And so he does a lot of things by memory also. And he will put in sticky notes in the score when he wants to test his memory and be like, mm-hmm. oh, first violins come in here. Oh, violas come in here. Now the flutes, you go, the flutes have a fugue and it's like flute, oboe, clarinet, bassoon. And so he'll like put these sticky notes in as like clues and then conduct through the excerpt with a recording that, you know, is like, close to the tempo he he's going to take you know and then if he passes quote unquote his test then he'll like take out the clues and put new ones in and that's the way he memorizes things and so i've started doing that and it's it's really helped yeah and then i just i graph out well not graph but like i write out the phrase structure for every piece so like four bar phrase and a four bar phrase and that's like the whole first theme or what you know whatever and mm-hmm. so that really helps me dig deep into the score. 
to get a better understanding. Yeah, yeah. We um, at the conference, I, I do you know Jacques Lacombe? He's he directs. I know, I think, the I know of him, but I don't know him. Yeah, so I I didn't get a chance to meet him. I've been we've been trying to get him on the podcast, but he does everything from memory. He does like all the all the operas from memory. He does, he's oh, mostly wow. an opera guy and he does them all yeah. from memory. Um, but one of my friends asked him about this thing and he, I think he had like a four, like this four ways of like, he had this whole like memorizing things down. And one of the yeah. things I overheard him talking about was like, he practices going through the music like really fast. So yeah. like a 50 minute piece will only take like three or four minutes. And then when oh, he's wow. conducting, everything's like in slow motion. We've yeah. been trying to get him on. I've been trying to get oh, in contact cool. with him because I really want to talk about this. Yeah, because cool. he was he was like, yeah, held in Leibniz like 50 minutes, but when yeah. I go through it, it's like three. Jeez. Just. <laughs> I mean, I'll sing through things while I conduct it to test myself, and yeah, you know, that's like in the privacy of my own study at home because I'm not a vocalist, you know, <laughs> at all. And so I like sing through things to test myself, but oh, geez, pairing it down that quick, I don't know if I. I'm not ready for that. That's yeah, the just, big leagues. Like, he just like goes through it in his head really fast. Like every, yeah. da, 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 da. Oh my um, gosh. Do you, what did you learn from your time studying choral conducting that you still use? Uh, well, so I, I just said I'm not a vocalist, but I do like a side gig as a church choir director. Okay. Um, so I, you know, use that, that toolbox a lot, okay. but the breath is super, super important. And to a certain point, you know, in, in band conducting it is. And so I've kind of transferred that over to strings a little bit because um, then, you know, it's especially the string players I work with, they're they're really obsessed with like bow placement and speed and, you know, all oh, that's great. Yeah. But it's also like, it. where's the phrase? Like it needs to sing, you know? Yeah. So I talk about the breath a lot. And then um, the choral teacher at OCU is really, really big on like having gestures that, match the music so i, I kind of mentioned this earlier and he's less focused so on on the pattern but he's more of like just conveying the idea of the composer so i use mm -hmm. that a lot and that coupled with a few other things i think is what's gotten me got my technique to where it is now yeah. Yeah. you know because the like, choral connection is a little bit more free you don't have a stick in your hand i mean some people do but you know i i didn't when i was at ocu i use a baton and it's just more free and you can push and pull a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I don't remember who it was, but some, some conductor was telling a student recently, must've been at a workshop. I don't remember. Um, he's saying that he'll talk to the, to the winds and brass, like string players, like let's yeah. have, let's make these all, all these notes down bows. Yeah. He'll, tell, he'll talk to the string players, like wind players. Yeah. Like, can you, can you, can you, tongue that a bit get more a little more articulation on the i do that to a certain <laughs> extent you know like yeah. i'll ask i in the last concert i asked the first islands like oh we need a little bit more front to that note and they were like do you want to accent it or not it's like okay yeah <laughs> yeah awesome but, caleb do you have any questions for us i don't i don't know, I don't know if I have any questions i really appreciate what you guys are doing because i mean like i said earlier you know i've been playing trumpet for 15 years and only conducting for six. And so mm -hmm. I think as conductors, it's really important that we continue to, you know, learn and improve as much as we can. And so I think what you guys are doing is an invaluable service. I mean, I've been listening to the podcast since day one, you know, yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, you have to grow and grow all the time and not get stagnant. And what you guys are doing, I think, really, really, really helps with that. Awesome. But I don't know if I have any questions. I can't think of any. Okay. Well, if you think of any. <laughs> and we've, we've chatted a few times, so I'll just, you know, email you or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, email, not Facebook message anymore. That yeah. was my bad. <laughs> no, it was, it was me. I mean, I'm really bad at checking Facebook messages. And then, like, now that the coronavirus thing is happening, you know, every inbox <laughs> I have is, like, overflowing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Luke, do you want to ask Caleb our, our hidden gem question? Yeah. Do you have any uh, a piece of music or a few pieces that you particularly enjoy that you think should, you know, uh, be performed more or that you uh, think people should listen to more often? Ooh. Including the, the Beethoven always, one you were I know, talking about. You guys about. always ask this question. So I would say the Beethoven King Stephen, first yeah. and foremost. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you know the overture, that's great. Listen to the whole thing. Michael Dilson Thomas has a phenomenal recording. Um, but that piece is just, I don't know. It's its one of Beethoven's hidden gems, in my opinion. Um, you know, then I really like Hungarian music a lot. So I know people know, like, Bartok and Liszt, and they're great. But Kodai, you know, a lot of people know him from, like, the music education world. He has some phenomenal music as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like digging into Hungarian music. I think it's pretty cool and pretty unique, you know. But... Oh, that cool. I don't know. I was a little unprepared for that question. <laughs> Not a problem. Um, are you prepared for our final question? Yeah. What's your final question? Our final question is if you could erect a billboard, that every oh, conductor yeah. would see, okay. yeah, what would you put on it? See, I know all these questions by heart. And now that I'm on this side of the screen, I'm nervous. <laughs> okay. But I do know. So I have this uh, above my desk in, in my study. I have a, a bulletin board. So I have a quote pinned. So I'm going to read it to you guys. Um, I was in Five Me Alpha at, at uh, North Texas. And so this is from, now he's the dean of the College of Music at Ithaca, but it's a really famous member of Five Me Alpha. So the quote is, if we were a medical school and you were here as a med student practicing appendectomies, you take your work very seriously because you would imagine that some night at 2 a.m., someone is going to waltz into your emergency room and you're going to have to save their life. Well, my friends, someday at 8 p.m., someone is going to walk into your concert hall and bring you a mind that is confused, a heart that is overwhelmed, a soul that is weary. Whether they go out whole again will depend partly on how well you do your craft. That's from Carl Polnack. So I have that pinned above my desk. Yeah. And then I'm going to take this opportunity to say one more. Ben Franklin said this quote, but it's like in failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. Yeah. And so that goes back to like, constantly studying constantly obviously preparing scores and parts and everything else Mm -hmm. i love those thank you yeah i know the first one's kind of long but i feel like it's worth it well i think i mean yeah even if even if you don't remember all the all of it definitely the uh you know the idea of it you can yeah keep in your head and refresh often yeah yeah so be prepared yeah absolutely (laughs) awesome well thanks so much for your time today yeah and thanks so much for your for your support i mean from day one on Mm -hmm. yeah well like i said what you guys are doing is crazy crazy important in the connecting world i mean any any musical world but i mean especially for me you know awesome i appreciate it
thank you for listening to this episode of Podium Time. If you'd like to get more from the podcast, head over to patreon.com slash podiumtimepod to learn more about becoming a member of our PT family, an assistant conductor, or a donor to the podcast. And don't forget to join our inner circle group on Facebook. Links for everything are in the show notes below or at podiumtimepod.com. Mendelssohn's Italian Symphony was performed by the Czech National Symphony Orchestra, and Beethoven's Egmont Overture was performed by Stefano Ligorati. Mm-hmm.